My message today is entitled, What Does He Expect? Have you ever worked for someone or a child of a parent and just think, I can never please them because I don't know what they expect of me? Yeah. Well, sometimes that happens in our Christian lives as well. What does God expect? What does God expect me to do? I've tried to do this, and I fail here, and I've tried to do that, and I don't do this, and I try this one way. i try to do all truth, and I'm not enough grace. i try to do all grace and not enough truth. What does God expect? And so naturally, people turn to different places where they can find information that they think is easier or quicker rather than waiting on God. Maybe some of you heard this story in the news a few weeks ago. A woman and her 10-year-old daughter were bored. It was a bad day, bad weather. They were bored sitting around the house, and so they went online. And they started to look for some physical challenges that they could do to pass the time. And they went on YouTube, and they found a gym teacher that was doing physical activities, roll around, keep a shoe balanced on your foot, and do a roll, and do fun things like that. And then the 10-year-old girl turned to her Alexa smart speaker and asked Alexa, Give me a challenge to do. This so-called smart device from Amazon has over 40 million users in the U.S. alone. So in response to this little girl's request of a challenge to do, Alexa promptly answered that it it said, "I I found a challenge on the web, and then proceeded to share out loud with this little girl what the challenge is. Alexa said, plug in a phone charger about halfway into the wall outlet, and then touch a penny to the exposed prongs. How many heard the story? It's true, isn't it? This smart device didn't bother to say that it was a dangerous viral video that was trending on the controversial TikTok platform, or that it could cause electrocution and fires and lost fingers and arms. Thankfully, this time, the mother was right with her when the girl asked for a challenge to do it, and the mother immediately said, No, Alexa, no! people talking to computers. And so thankfully the girl did not follow through. But what if the mother wasn't there? And how many little kids are doing that when their parents are not there? Who knows how many other kids or people have followed other dangerous suggestions from their devices. It's estimated that Google processes, Google search, It processes about 63,000 search queries every second, translating to 5.6 billion searches per day and approximately approximately 2 trillion global searches every year. The average person conducts between 3 and 4 searches every day. People can't wait to get advice or go to a book. Remember that old thing that sits on the shelf? They can't go to there. They have to have information now and they have to have it quick and at their fingertips. This may astound you when I read these results. Or you might think, hmm, interesting. But the point I'm trying to make is that millions and millions of people are turning to Google and Siri and Alexa way more often than turning to God for direction, for ideas, for answers challenges on how to live life to its fullest. Of course, you might say that smart technology is at your fingertips and delivers lightning quick results. And it's easy to find an answer for anything you need if you just use common sense in your discernment. How many know that common sense is a dying commodity today? 
Trust me, I work in the schools. There's not a lot of common sense out there. Whether you're young or old, there's not a lot of common sense. So, so just to say, oh, i got to use the common sense, it's not a great excuse. Whatever happened to asking God and truly, here's another word you don't hear too often, waiting. Asking God and waiting on Him to deliver truth to you personally. So with this question at hand, let us ask God, God, how do we live? What do you expect of us? How do I live this life to its fullest the way that you have designed me to live? Well, in Micah 6, 8, Micah was a prophet who lived with a contemporary of Isaiah. Micah 6, 8 tells us very plainly, Micah 6, 8b, in fact, it's our memory verse for today. It says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justly? and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's a very quick and very precise answer. And it sounds simple enough to understand if we allow the Holy Spirit to assist us. First, we are to do what is right. What does that mean? Well, let's take a look at one of the simplest ways to find out what to do is right. It's in the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Who knows what's there? The Ten Commandments. Very good. So the Ten Commandments are, first one, you shall have no other gods before me. Nothing else should be more important than God. All right? Number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. You should not worship a graven image that you've carved or whatever. You should not worship a graven image or an idol. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. It's more than just don't swear. Or the OMGs. It's attaching God's name to something that, that God did not do. Okay? So you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. I mean, you shall not use His Lord. I've talked about this before when we did our study on the Ten Commandments a couple of years ago. Remember in the, the Israelites in the Old Testament, they couldn't even say His name. They couldn't even spell His name. It was Y-W, Y-H-W-H is what it was. Okay? And so they couldn't even say his name. That's why if you look in your Bible in the Old Testament, you see the word Lord, it's all capitalized. They, did, they couldn't even say his name because there's such reverence to his name. In fact, that's why they built the temple in the Old Testament, the, the tabernacle, so there was a place for his name. That's what the Bible says, a place for his name. There was such great reverence to his name, and now, now God's name is attached to everything and every feeling and every thought. We shall not misuse the name of God. Verse 4, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. How many people remember when you didn't play sports on Sunday or you didn't have practices or you didn't go to dance recitals on Sunday or you couldn't sell alcohol on Sunday or all the things that you couldn't do that it's gone now. That's why churches are empty all over the country because there's so many practices and sports and stuff on Sundays now. And one that's our Ten Commandments which God gives us to instruct us and to help us not to give us rigid routines to keep this day holy. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, it goes a little bit further. It talks about this promise, and it's the only commandment with a promise. Does anybody know what the promise is in following this commandment? It's that you may have long life. It's one, but even more important than that, that it may go well with you. Honor your mother and father that you may have a long life and that it may go well with you. Do you know what that means? It means if you had a difficult growing up with a mother or father and for whatever reason they couldn't meet your needs or didn't meet your needs, 
So you've held that grudge against that unforgiveness. If you don't forgive your parents, it will not go well with you. It will repeat. It will become a bitter root in you and you will begin to bear that same fruit in your life as well. So some of us had the blessing of having a good mother or father. Not everyone did for whatever reason. But it's up to us to do the best to honor them and to honor the remembrance and honor to say they did the best they can and I forgive them and I love them because if I do, then I'm going to have a long life and it's going to go well with me so I can break that iniquity so it doesn't get passed on to my kids as well. See, these are not rigid things that we have to do. These are things that bless us and give us a, give us a greater appreciation of life itself. Number six, you shall not murder. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes into this a little deeper and he says, not you just shall not murder, you shall not assault someone's character. Because if you do, that's like killing them as well. Think about today in the news and politics, how many times someone's character is assaulted. That's breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. This is not only allowed now, it is encouraged and celebrated in our society. You shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not lie. That's one of the, when God broke it down to Ten Commandments, it's such a huge one, and yet lying is encouraged all over the world. In fact, one of the challenges today, even among this COVID crisis is, as you all know, there's nowhere to go for truth. You don't know who to believe or who to listen to. There's nowhere to go for truth. Because people have done so much, it's encouraged. Number ten, you shall not covet. You shall not desire anything or anyone that is not with you. This is what it means to do justly. Okay? To do justly. God gave us this very simple thing to follow through so that we can live a just life. It does not mean perfect life. Every one of us, including me, will make mistakes, many mistakes. But because of the grace of our God, He comes to us and He says, If you confess your sins to me, I will forgive you of your sins and I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God does that daily if we go to Him daily. But He still gives us, He still has an expectation. He doesn't just, he doesn't just say, as some churches teach today, He doesn't just say, I died for your sin, you can live however you want, my grace covers it all. That's not what He says. That's when we take advantage of His grace. But if He says, if you do your best, if you spend time in My Word and let the Holy Spirit bring My Word to you so it makes sense to you and you understand it, I will empower you to keep this Word and I will also convict you when you're strained and if you listen to My conviction, I'll bring you back home. But apart from the Holy Spirit and apart from the Word of God, we can't just put this list on our refrigerator and expect to live a holy life. God gives us a way a clear way that's at our fingertips to do justly. The Ten Commandments are still right for today. Simple rules that we can and should live by. This is God's direction for us to live a righteous life. And when we mess up, like I said, and we all do, the awareness of these commandments, in addition to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that means listening to the Holy Spirit when He says, don't do that, or you're in too far or close your mouth, or back out of this conversation. When we respond to the Holy Spirit, it pushes us to God to get strength and forgiveness and healing so that we can begin again and keep walking for Him. Well, the second part of the verse in Micah 6, 8, remember it said to do just, it also said to love mercy. 
to love mercy. What does that mean? It means that we are compelled to show mercy, to seek mercy, to celebrate mercy, and to be moved by it. The same way that Jesus Christ did when He walked this earth. You see, too many Christians that get overextended into political realms are moved by other things that's not mercy. Many times it's moved by anger or moved by indignation or moved by offense. But Jesus was moved by compassion and He faced a lot worse persecution than we do here as well today. He had people trying to kill Him. And He was still moved by compassion. Matthew 9.36 When He, speaking of Jesus, when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. You see, when Jesus saw the multitudes who were lost, who were broken, who, because they had misinformation, they were misguided, and and following something or someone else in this world, He was not moved to anger or judgment or a critical spirit or negativity. Rather, He was led by compassion and moved by compassion to help them and to teach them. Not to just give something to them, but to teach them what the right way was and to let their lives line up with His teaching. And not to bring shame, but to bring healing and correction to put them on the right path. And simply, He was moved to love them. That means, are, are you thankful that when you look at your life, when you came to Jesus, are you thankful that God loved you enough to accept you as you were? That you didn't have to get cleaned up first? Or else none of us would ever come into the kingdom with God. God loves us enough to accept us where we're at, but He loves us too much to keep us that way. So over the course of our lives, God has a way of, of each of us being a pro, in progress with Him. None of us is perfect. None of us is even close. But if we trust God, God has a way of making us like Him if we stay close to Him. But God accepts us how, how we are. Therefore, He asks us to do the same thing. If we're going to shine our light like we were singing, then we need to accept people where they're at, but, not, but love them enough to keep sharing the Word of God with them and inviting them to church and to pray for them if they don't come to hope that God would be able to, to mold them into what, what, how He has created them to be. What are you moved by? Especially when so many today are moved by anger or by negativity, by what the secular world is doing or by the latest political speech, movement, or craze. What are you moved by? What gets you going? Jesus tells us to do justly, which simply means to pattern our lives after Him. To do this, we must love mercy. We must seek to restore others. Instead of trying so hard to vindicate ourselves in everything we do. See, some people that will not admit that they're wrong have a difficult time when they come to conflict. And that's how, what life is. Life is conflict. But when you grow from conflict, it makes you stronger. When you have a relationship and there's conflict and you deal with it and you get through it, it makes you even stronger because you went through something together. But some people that are not willing to admit wrong are so quick to vindicate themselves that they don't love mercy. And relationships don't stand. And connections don't stand. God says, if you want to be my light in this world, then you need to love mercy. And you're going to be wrong. And you're going to have to admit that you're wrong. 
You can't be like Fonzie who says, I was wrong. Right? Remember that, Happy Days? I was wrong. He couldn't admit he was wrong. There's a lot of adults that can't admit they're wrong. Guess what? I'm wrong all the time. I am. I'm not ashamed to say it. If we are loving mercy, again, I've talked this before, but there's a verse in the Bible that says, if you have a sin, go to that person between you and he alone. And that's where people end the verse. However, the rest of the verse says, go to that person that you may gain a brother. It doesn't say go to that person to prove that you are right or to get to vent out all your frustrations. It's go to that person between you and he alone with no, separate, with no rumors or gossip with the hopes that you're going to gain a brother or gain a sister. Too many people today are going to people and to state their case and then walking away and saying, I did what the Bible says. Wrong. The Bible says go to that person with the hopes that you will gain a brother or gain a sister and restore a relationship. And if we all took the Bible at what it says, not just what we think it says, we would be a lot further along in this life today. If I love mercy, that simple thing that God said, if I love mercy, I'm going to seek restoration where it's possible. And if it's not possible, I'm not going to hold judgment against that person. I'm going to pray for that person and move on and wait till God does the work on that person. And I'm going to keep praying for them and keep coming back to see what God's done to that person if they've responded. We are not to try to vindicate ourselves. We are to love one another and to seek and to love mercy. That's what God's Word says. One reason why there's such a lack of showing mercy in so many places today is because too many people are seeking to get their own needs met first before they give to others. If I just get my own needs met first, then I'll meet your needs. Look at what's going on in the world today. And you can see, if it, with this context, you can see that this is an orchestrated attack of the enemy. Seriously. You can't contact people. Businesses are short on supply. You can't get subcontractors for jobs. All these things are happening. So you, have to, you think, I have to get my own needs first before I can bless someone else. It's happening all over the place. The enemy is doing that because if we are so stuck on meeting our own needs, we won't meet other needs, and there will be a breakdown of the family of God. But think about this. When you say, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to help you, and I'm going to give to you, and I believe that when I do those things, God's going to bless me. What does that stay up, say about your faith? God sees that and He says, I, this is my child who's helping and giving and shining His light in the world, and he or she knows that I'm going to bless them and take care of their needs. There's no greater faith statement than blessing someone out even though you don't have something and just believing that God's going to bless you in return. That's what the Bible says. Even this whole movement of this uh, prosperity gospel. I want God to give to me so I can give to more, so I can become rich and give more. That's not in the Bible. I want to give, even if I don't get a monetary return, I'm going to get a blessing from God and I'm going to feel better and God's going to expand my heart so I can give more. Not expand my wallet. If He does, praise God. But I want to give more because I love mercy. Not just because I want to increase my finances. Romans 12, verse 3. When I, when, early on when I became a Christian, this is one of the first chapters that I memorized. It is a great chapter. A great chapter for how to live life. In fact, you, probably a lot of you know that it's not up here, but you, a lot of you know the beginning that we are not to conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is verse 3, which follows that. It says, 
For by the grace that has been given me, I say to every one of you, this is Paul saying this, he says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. In other words, don't look at your talents or your accolades or your logic or your intelligence and say, hey, I'm here. Rather, put yourself down here. Because if you're up here, you think that you're God. But if we stay down here, we realize that we depend upon God. What happens is too many people think that they can rest on their talents or their connections instead of going back to God every day for His daily bread like He asks us. Think of yourself with sober judgment, which means God's still working on me and I need Jesus every day. This is how we are to live. By placing others' needs before ours. Why do you think this church is still standing today? Many churches across the land are no longer going on. They didn't make it through COVID. They didn't make it for whatever reason. Because we are faithful and place others' needs, this is a missionary church, meaning we support missionaries around the world. We support missionaries in America. We support missionaries and mission organizations right here in our community. Why? Because God tells us to love mercy. We need to place others' needs before ours. And before your flesh cries out and says, well, what about me? Understand that when we take care of others, God takes care of us. The reason we are called to live this way is because intentional living of serving others first declares that we trust God will take care of us. What a declaration of praise to God by simply living out our faith in this manner, doing justly and loving mercy. Some people say, I can't worship and praise. I don't have that talent. That's not singing is one type of worship and praise. But living your life by loving mercy and following God is the greatest way to worship and praise God. That's what He calls all of us to do. We are called to pray for discernment, for a need. And then meet that need with no other motivation than to honor God with your service. God, show me a need. I want to be used. Show me a need. And then pray for discernment because not every need is of God or not everything is a safe thing to do, like that challenge we talked about this morning. But pray for a need. And when God reveals needs to you, pray for it and then find a way to meet that need in a way that honors God. This is how we show that we love mercy. Third of all, our verse in Micah, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. If there was ever a word for today and for today's Christians, it is this one. We are called to walk humbly, to not draw attention to ourselves or our acts of service. And yet, how many truly great persons are able to do this? To live as though they were invisible so that others did not know what you have done or what, what service you have done for others. It is contrary to what our flesh our sinful flesh desires. Because our flesh wants to be noticed because that's how it stays alive. If we notice our flesh, our flesh gets stronger. If we ignore it, it goes down so our spirit can rise up and praise God. Our flesh wants to be given credit. Our flesh wants to be praised and wants to be thanked and wants to be noticed. It's in all of us. 
Thus, this should tell us that at any time that we want to know if we are truly serving God with the right motives, if we're truly serving men and women and children, or just serving ourselves, our simple check is to see who is getting the praise in what you do. Who is getting the attention? Who is getting the thanks and the credit? How are we to judge the great men and women of this earth today? Here's the biblical answer. We are to look for those who are not seeking the praises of men, not seeking the praises of others, not seeking the attention of others, and those who get so upset because others don't praise them. If you're doing that, you are not being humble, as the Bible instructs us to do. As again, all of us are susceptible that I don't want to step into judgment, but we are to be walking humbly, as the Word states. Because before you're quick to name, name someone who you know is on that list, look no for, further than your own heart. For our flesh seeks the same return for all of us. Your flesh wants to be noticed, wants to receive credit, wants the attention, wants thanks, because that's what keeps your flesh alive. The only way that we can counteract our flesh's desire for attention and credit and thanks and praise is by choosing to daily live humble lives. What does this look like? Well, Jesus was pretty clear in one of his longest teachings that's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called his Sermon on the Mount. And he had a lot of teaching where he said, you know the law says this, but I tell you this. In other words, this is what the law says in, in words, but this is what the heart of God is when he wrote the law. We are to live humbly in this world if we truly call ourselves Christians. Because as a Christian, we don't just belong to a club or go to a church. We take on, listen to this, we take on the name of Christ. Jesus' name, Christ, becomes us Christian. We take on his name and his character. And if we're really going to go back to say, I'm going to not misuse or use the Lord's name in vain, then I've got to remember that's not just what I say. It's everything I do if I say that I'm a Christian. If I say that I'm a Christian and take on His name, then I need to live a life worthy of God. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, let me share a couple of things where Jesus gives a couple examples of what it looks like to walk humbly. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Whether you've seen this before or whether you have a tendency to do this, it's in all of us to want, have this tendency, whether we've learned to keep it in check. But how many people do something and go put on social media what they did so people can say, hey, good for you, good job. Or you tell someone else, I just did this, because you, you know they're going to say, hey, thanks, that's great, thanks for doing that. Now, I'm not saying to ignore those things, because sometimes in a natural conversation people are going to know that. But then we, can't, we need to check our heart. Are we desiring that credit or that attention or that thanks and praise? Is that why we're doing that? Jesus said, don't do that. And remember, whatever we think we're doing, God knows the truth. He knows the true motivations of our heart. So when you do something good, don't announce it. Just do it. And then go on to the next thing and just do that. Then go on to the next thing and just do that. That's what he's saying. Because if you get your thanks or your praise or your credit, that's your reward. I got that. But guess what? There's no reward in heaven because you already got your thanks or your praise here on earth. 
I'd much rather be filling up my bank account in heaven than not here. Right? And again, I'm not doing that. Salvation is not earned, it's received. But if that is so, I would rather receive a well done for my heavenly Father than a, hey, good job. Now, I'm not saying that we ignore someone and, and turn someone down when they thank us. Thank you. But in our quiet time, God, thank you for letting, be, letting me be your light in this world. Matthew 6, verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And again, before you judge anyone, let, I'll let you know that it's your flesh that wants to do that. It's not you as a bad person. In fact, Paul said in Romans, he said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I know I shouldn't do, I keep doing. Why? Because there's a sinful flesh in me. We know that's there. That's why we need to continue to be in the Word of God. Verse 3 and 4. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Right? Don't, don't announce it. Don't, don't make a big deal about it. God sees it. So that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What does this mean? This means how we live humble lives. It doesn't mean we can't ever do something out fun that people see and do that. That's great. But if the motivation, motivation of our heart is to give and to serve and to do things to be noticed so that our flesh is being fed, then our flesh gets strong and we have a harder time listening to the Spirit then we can't hear conviction when it comes upon us. And none of us are perfect. But if we begin to do things out of a humbleness, out of humility then our flesh will not get as much power and our spirit will rise up and so we can praise God and we will feel closer to God. Some people say, I can't feel God in my life. It's because your flesh has risen up too much. But if you learn to walk humbly, and you will not be perfect, but if you learn to walk humbly and do things for God alone, you will start to feel your spirit connected with God a lot more than you do. We are to give in all humility, not drawing attention to our gift or our willingness to give, but drawing attention to our God, who is the one who enables us to give in the first place. Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their gift in full. It does not mean you should never pray in front of someone. Again, it goes back to a heart issue. I've been in prayers where people try on purpose to pray this awesome sounding prayer with the big words just so that it can be prayed. And what happens is everyone else says, I can't pray like that, so I'm just going to stay silent, and then no one else prays. I know some of you have been there before. And I'm not saying you should not pray if you have the gift of prayer and you have the gift of words. Share it. But let others go first. Our motivation should not be to be heard so that we can be praised or honored. Our motivation should be to connect with God. So the hypocrites in these days would go out on the streets and shout out loud and almost, almost like they're rehearsing a sermon when they're praying to be sound. Wow, that person can really pray. Again, it's a heart check for all of us. That's how we live a humble lives. Verse 6, chapter 6, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door. Pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret 
will re- reward you. What is my desire? My desire is to connect with God. Yes, there are times for public prayers. We stand and pray and we pray. But there's also time for me, myself, to go into my room, myself, and pray to God. Verse 7, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. doesn't matter what you say. He already knows your heart. He just wants to see, is your heart connected with Him so you can come to Him and ask of Him? Now, it doesn't go on here. I'm not going to hold this Scripture verse right here behind me. But when the disciples asked Jesus at this point, they said, how then, how then are we supposed to pray? Pop quiz. What comes up next in Scripture? What does Jesus say? How are they supposed to pray? The Lord's Prayer. We pray it every Sunday, right? The Lord's Prayer, which means if you do it because you mean it, not just out of obligation, not out of rote memory, if you do it because you mean it, that's why every time I turn on, every time, even though I've said it my whole life, and I mean, I slow go through the words, and I mean every word. If you mean it, then it truly is one of the types of, of prayers. They said how to pray, not what should we say. So that's one type of prayer. How do you pray? Well, if you're praying humbly, you, would, you begin it by our Father. I recognize you that you are in heaven. Hallowed or blessed be your name. Not with God, I need this. Right? That's how a lot of prayers are. If we let our flesh lead our prayer. But if we truly honor God and we seek to live humble lives, then we're going to praise God first. God knows what we need. We don't have to quick get to the question because He already knows what we need. But He wants to check out our heart first. That's what He means about living humble lives. In our giving and in our serving and in our praying, Jesus instructs us to do all of it in humility. Not drawing attention to ourselves or what we are doing. As we simply obey and do so humbly, God gets all the glory. God gets all the credit and all the praise. And in the meantime, our flesh, our will, will start to shrink so that God becomes preeminent in our lives. Remember John the Baptist, what he said when Jesus came on the scene? He said, I must decrease so he can increase. My will, my flesh has to, be, has to decrease so God in my life can increase. And He did. That's the goal for all of us. You see, in order to become a great man or a great woman or a great child of God, it doesn't take a seminary. It doesn't take a beautiful voice or a beautiful talent like you see Scott and Scott sharing up here. It doesn't take an ability to preach or teach. It simply requires that we Live to draw attention to our God and not to ourselves. It's simple. So is that it? Three simple steps. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Isn't that what Micah 6, 8 said? What's your memory verse for today said? Not exactly. Because the most important thing, the key to doing all this is at the end of the verse. Again, most people miss the end of the verse. So let's look at this verse one more time. Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Do you see it? We are to do any of these things, but we cannot do any of these in our own strength. 
We have to do all of these with God, with the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Only by His strength and by His grace can we do justly by following the Ten Commandments to the best of our ability and following the tenets of our faith. We all will fall. Probably many times every day. We will fail. But our knowledge of who God is and our willingness to respond to the Holy Spirit in our lives will determine how long we stay down when we fall and how quick we are to come back to God for forgiveness and for restoration and for times of refreshing in His presence. I know this because I'm a sinner, like all of you. But I know one of the worst things about sin, not only is it against God's will, but one of the worst things about sin is when you sin, you feel unworthy and you feel that God doesn't want anything to do with you. Even though God says, I already know you're going to sin before you even do it, and so I'm ready to come to you with an open heart and open mind, ready to repent and come back to me. But when you sin, when you feel guilty or shame or condemnation, that shame or condemnation is many times worse than the sin itself because it keeps you away from God. You are all going to fall. You are all going to sin. You're all going to mess up. But His arms are open wide. He wants us to come to Him. He wants us to return to Him. He wants us to confess to Him, not on social media, what we've done. He wants us to say, God, help me. Empower me by Your Holy Spirit to live a life worthy of what You've done for me. But don't stop there. Then spend time in His Word. Get involved in a Bible study. Get involved with a group of believers. Attend a church. Get locked into a church. Wherever it is, it doesn't matter as long as they preach the Word of God. But get plugged in somewhere where you are held accountable by others because you cannot, keep your, you cannot hold yourself accountable. I've heard many people say that over the years. I could just watch church on TV and I could hold myself accountable. No, you can't. Even Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, said, what I want to do, I can't. I don't do it. But loving brothers and sisters who practice compassion, who practice serving, will gently hold you accountable and check with you to see how you're doing. And then by their grace and by your love, you will day by day begin to work more where you're moving into a place where God wants you to be. Only by His love and by His grace and remembrance of His forgiveness Will we truly love mercy and seek mercy in all we do? And only by our daily submitting to the Holy Spirit to convict us, not slap us in the head, but to convict us and say, hey, you're off the mark there. It's not what I've called you to do. You've wandered off the path. If we daily submit to Him for a conviction to bring God into our remembrance, we will follow His voice to live humbly with Him and draw all attention and credit and praise to our Heavenly Father. It's what He asks of us. That's what He requires. There you go. An easy to understand, quick answer right at your fingertips. You don't need a smartphone or a smart device to tell you how to live or even to give you a real challenge. You want a real challenge? Commit to Jesus. See what He does in your life. See how He will turn around your life. See how He will fill you with joy instead of condemnation. See how He will fill you with faith instead of emptiness. See how God puts brothers and sisters in your life who are on that same journey, not perfect, but on that same journey, seeking to honor their Father in all they do. In order to do this, 
You need the Word of God. You need the Holy Spirit living in you and through you each and every day. That's a challenge. To God be all the glory, all the praise, forever and ever. Amen.